Yeah. But it's a really, I think, just in the psychology of that's really interesting. Like, do you, like, your job is not to com- play competitive football. Your job is to be ready to play competitive football if a series of unlikely events happen. I think that's really interesting. One of the most niche articles I've read recently was one on the best paid third choice goalkeepers yeah, yeah. in European football. Who yeah. was it? Uh, it was Real Madrid were playing, paying their third choice goalkeeper like 1.2 million euros yeah. a season what? or something. Yeah. What a job. What a job. Who was, it? was it Steve Harper? Was it Steve Harper at Newcastle that for a long time... Yeah, it was third choice, yeah. And, but he, then he did play for a bit, Even, he? Eventually, and good things come good. to those who wait, yeah, yeah. Good. And he's now doing punditry and he's brilliant. Is he? Yeah. Well, he's a bit like me, though. We appreciate <laughs> good pundits, don't we? Yeah. We really do, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, just I know nice, you do, I know you do. Nice to get like a competent one. <laughs> Better being a third choice goalkeeper than a third choice left back. Whoa, whoa, why are you turning this round to me? Just because you're the only person. Off other people <laughs> don't start with me. When were you a third choice left back? Never, never, <laughs> never, forever. Uh, welcome to another edition of Set Piece Menu. Hello, everyone. This is the podcast where four friends, at least we were before we started talking, uh, talk about football over food. Thank you to everyone who has downloaded and listened so far, and maybe even liked as well. Please do subscribe. My name is Hugh Ferris. I am the presenter. I'm joined by our pundit, our writer, and our commentator. Andy Hinchcliffe is a former England international and current television international. Rory Smith writes on soccer for the New York Times. And commentator Steve Wyeth knows his Mets from his Mönchengladbach on BT Sport. <laughs> Any other M's you can think of in Germany no, or good. France or Italy? Um, if you're new to Set Piece Menu, we are basically like a really disappointing specials board in the corner of a restaurant. Just one item. Debated over lunch or brunch, and absolutely no conclusion reached, apart from the fact that Andy did indeed scandalously only win seven England caps. Well, the nil-nil draw at Saudi, with Saudi Arabia at Wembley was... You've got to get that. You've got to watch that. Uh, is the worst thing about your seven England caps not that of all the people who made their debuts, mm. the day you made your debut, yeah, yeah. You, you are not only the best-looking... Well, but also the most fashion iconic. I do think David Beckham was overrated, to be honest. Do you not think? <laughs> he was on that day. Was, it was all yeah, about yeah. you making your day. You Nobody knew it about was. David Beckham. Was that was. the game yeah. that Nicky Barmby scored? Uh, Nicky Barmby scored in quite a few games. He actually. did a good play, Nicky Barmby. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Played with Everton. Quite clever. Quite small. Very small. Yeah, but very intelligent man. I had, think had the face of an about, angelic child. Yeah, quite a wide face, I remember. He did a lovely face. face. Yeah. It, right. it was in Moldova, so the pictures are a little mm. grainy. Are they? Um, but Nick Barmy scored in Sven's first game against Spain, if you're thinking about that one. Did no, he I'm sure he scored in that game in Moldova. First game? I think Gaza win. scored. Gaza definitely scored. And I know Stuart Pearce gave a penalty away at the end, which the Moldovans foolishly missed. Hit the crossbar, <laughs> idiots. So we beat them 3-0, so I kept a clean sheet on my debut. Uh, which was a magnificent performance against the mighty Moldovians. On the set-piece menu today, some three-for-six-pound tapas. Thank you to Steve for providing that. We've got some patatas bravas, some albondigas, and some sort of paprika chicken stew. Rory, you speak Spanish. Did I do that correctly? You pronounced ch- paprika chicken stew. Perfectly. <laughs> Thank you very much. And also, our topic today is anything ever new in football. We all have to talk about the new fashions and fads and sound very fancy when we're doing so. I don't just mean what Luis Enrique is wearing on the touchline, which is very fashionable. Uh, But are things like pressing and false nines just new names for old concepts? Steve, you are a very fashionable gentleman. Just look at your skinny jeans, which you might have actually brought from 1978. Um, We're all guilty of it, aren't we? We just just think, oh, I've heard about this from somebody really obscure and I'm going to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about or are we genuinely going through revolutions in football that bring about new things the worst thing about these jeans by the way is when I when I got home 
Showed them off to the missus, proud of my new purchase. She said, yeah, I've got some exactly like that. That colour, <laughs> So you're wearing ladies' style. trousers? Yeah. Apparently so. I, Steve, I don't Apparently, want to offend yeah, you, yeah. but I think Katie's probably got a slightly slimmer waist. Mm. Uh, well, you know, I can try to stay in shape. <laughs> you try. <laughs> <laughs> the fads thing is just the sheer weight of information that is yeah. thrust in our direction that we're almost like determined to try and find a new way of analysing something, a, a new niche, the next footballing fad that's going to be the way to win matches ultimately you know it's about the the best players surely more often than not win the games and and it, it's tactics even formation is fairly subversive to that isn't it do, do, do the best players not win football matches generally i think they probably do but you can you can maybe counteract that as much as you can through doing doing things differently, doing things innovatively, doing th- things creatively. I think so. I think all of that <clears> stuff has a huge role to play because not every team can have the best players. Barcelona have the best players. So teams who play Barcelona have to find a way to, to make often, up the gap. But more often or not, Barcelona win. Yes. But they might maybe win by fewer goals because they are being stifled and stymied in a variety of creative ways. But I think what's really the core question is, do we ever see anything that's new? So Barcelona is a good jumping off point. Mm. Barcelona pressing the five, six second rule, whatever it was, Mm -hmm. and also playing in a certain way was brought about in the 1980s by Johan Cruyff. And before that, it was happening in Ajax and in Holland. Mm -hmm. So even that was a regeneration of something that happened before. I mean, there is a a direct lineage because that was their philosophy. So even that, when it came about, when Pep Guardiola brought it about in the mid 2000s for five, four years, this was essentially... This is new. This is amazing. This is unbeatable football. In fact, there's there's a direct line from the mid 1970s. If you're looking at pressing, pressing is just closing down, isn't it? Stopping where, the opposition, but it's where you do it. Yeah, it's probably changed a little bit higher up the field rather than allowing a team to get to the halfway line. Then you start to make it difficult for them. So maybe where it's being done is is a, a different way of approaching it. But actually doing it. It's like you say, it's been done for such a long time. So well, the, but, but what did okay? So what were you taught then? What were you taught about closing down? And was it ever called pressing? Well, what's changed is tactically. If, years ago, when I was first started playing four four two, everybody played the same way. So you knew you were going to be directly up against an opponent. So when they had the ball, you got very tight to them to stop them doing what they wanted to do. And everybody did that around the team. But with the differences in formations, players do have a bit more time on the ball because teams play in different ways. So it's again, it's where you choose to. Maybe that's the reason why coaches now press in the opposition half because they don't want them to get to the halfway line and start to use their own formation against you. So if we've got the ball and lose it up there, we try and keep it up there because then we're back on the front foot again. So what would have happened if, if it, when you're, you're talking about an era where everybody played 4-4-2, mm. if a coach arrived on the scene and said, hang on a second, I think I might try and circumnavigate this. And it never happens. To it never happened. But what, what would never, your reaction never, to that? that, that it, it, it never happens. What are you talking about? Well, if, if somebody, it would have been mind-blowing because, or even changing it to... Four two three one, or we're going to play three five two. We're going to play with wing back. It wasn't the done. When did wing backs first mid nineties in England? In England, mid-90s. so you know, I was playing in the late eighties. You know, when I first started playing as a kid, all the way through the. It wasn't that no one had heard of these things, of these concepts, even tactics. It was just football was four four two against four four two. That was it. We didn't think that deeply. Did you ever there wasn't anything the, else to think about? Ever play with like a sweeper? No. But Not you, at would, all. would you have known as a as a nineteen year old hopeful up and coming? Would you have known what sweep was? Not at all. No, because he was already hopeful by sixteen. By nineteen, he was established. I've always been very hopeful, though. <laughs> I've always been. Hopeful. Are you still hopeful now? Yeah, I am yeah. for a bright future. Anyway, but this is it. Was just wasn't there. I think we we just presume because everyone talks about tactics and how worldly wise coaches are and players have got all these. You know, they see the game in a different way. That that's how it's always been. It hasn't always been like that. 
it changed like I say maybe in the mid 90s things rapidly changed because uh, the tactics actually changed but in English football certainly one I grew up in it wasn't like that at so, all so, so uh, hang on a minute we started this, this discussion with is anything ever new in football have we already found that, that something the is, is there. good night good afternoon we, we're finished that's <laughs> it I've answered it so my basic starting point on this is that football's quite simple there's a, a limited number of options of things you can do within it so everything's trying to be done what's changed is partly the terminology and the way the terminology is used. We're all much more familiar with the terminology of it than we were before. In fact, the, the Ajax Barcelona example, you can take that way back to, to the Magic Magyars of Hungary in 53. There is a direct line detailed in an excellent book called Mister. That will happen your book? That'll happen a lot. Is it your book? It is my book, yeah. So, soon tell to us be found tell in us the more, no, don't tell us more about it. Um, soon to be found in a Bardian bin near you. Uh, <laughs> out in paperback in February. The problem with it is it's currently just too big to fit in a stocking, yeah, so it? really yeah, yeah, it just you know, doesn't yeah. work. Uh, the, you someone to read the audio book? Because I, I think... I that'd be really, really good, yeah. Good, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. someone for you. Yeah. I wanted you to do it. Really? Yeah. In a funny voice or just my normal voice? Just your normal voice, funny enough. Funny enough. Yeah, so I, I would say that football's like genuine age of innovation probably stopped in the 50s or 60s. That's when the game had kind of exhausted all the broader possibilities. But I think what we've got now is things are being, teams are looking more and more for some kind of micro advantages, like marginal gains. So we talked about pressing. Uh, to me, pressing is just closing down. But what teams do now is not just where you do it, as Andy says, mm-hmm. but it's also how you do it. So th- they're not just training you to press, they're training pressing angles. You, you you teach people to press at certain points in certain ways from certain places. Does that cuts that cuts off the the options? Now that, that that's another good example. People talk about passing lanes. Now, I, when I was playing as a kid, not to any level, but you, you no one ever used the word passing lanes. It was options. You you had to have options when you were in possession. You had options. Mm-hmm. Now you have passing lanes. That's a change in terminology. The concept itself isn't new. But the, the terminology has changed and the way people think about what they can do to stop it has changed. So there are little kind of little things that are changing. But the broader brush strokes, a split striker, number 10, all these things, these concepts have existed for years and years and years and years. And we're just giving them new names and dressing them, dressing them up as new things. And why are we doing that? Are we doing that because we've got a, we're a slightly enlightened generation in the way that we talk about football? Is it the proliferation of football being on television? We've got more time to talk about these things. Or is it because we in England have probably, you were saying about Andy, the 4-4-2 and mm. changing that would have been mind-blowing and mm. shocking. Mm. Are we now in England becoming more enlightened because we are having a foreign influence of more tactics, more ideas, and perhaps it's even just a translation of the way that they describe mm. these things that we've called something else. Yeah, I guess it's, there's probably an element of we're kind of people coming out of the cave with our eyes open and our fingers not in our ears, saying, "Look at all this! Isn't it wonderful? This world that we can we can envisage." I think it's partly just what Steve says, right? That there's so much information, there's so much kind of space dedicated to football now that there's lots and lots of ways of looking at it. That's the great thing about football; you can look at it in a million different ways. My whole career then was. In a Pointless. cave. Yeah, it was in a cave, yeah. With my fingers in my ears. With your fingers in your That's ears. That's a bit depressing. Which explains when for he... 17 years you, in that you cave. You could have broken the mould, Andy. You could oh have been the God. player. You could have been the first to play imagine, as a wing-back rather than a full My career as, was just awful. As an otherwise plodding left-back. Imagine if you'd, <laughs> if, you'd, if you'd stepped into midfield like... like midfield? Pep's, Pep's getting cliche today. Yeah, nosebleed stepping into midfield. I couldn't do that. You played essentially the exact role that Alexander Kolarov is playing for How Pep Guardiola's that microphone out of your hands Manchester if you say that again your 70 yard raking diagonal balls would have been an absolute joy for yeah, but mind find the target he just lumps it across the pit ends up in the stands true. however you're also similar in when you turn back towards goal how quickly you can run <laughs> yeah but I wanted to defend I don't think he wants to are we also of a generation whether it's you know fashion technology football we just crave 
innovation. We've got some very old technology that we are using to record this podcast, but we've also got some very new technology lying around on the tables that changes every 12 yeah. months, and we want the new, the new version that comes out every 12 months. Is that kind of part of the skill of some of these coaches that we hold up as being, you know, tactically ahead of the game is that actually it's the way they present their tactics the way they're able to communi communicate them to their players is actually their great skill rather than actually technical innovation I was going to say you've got all these modern innovations you haven't used it to buy yourself a decent pair of gentlemen's jeans have you anyway <laughs> these are incredibly good point. comfortable <laughs> innovations really like good... three for six pound tapas for example they're, they're wonderful a... you wouldn't have had them in the 1980s I, I could do an entire show on my own about the cultural importance of Bella Italia in, in, in <laughs> British society which I'm willing to do other chain Italian restaurants are available I'm willing to do but if, if they want to sponsor us that's fine um, but no I think that, that, that is a really good point that we are a, we are not a generation, but we, we live in a, in a world now. That's not like Arsene Wenger. You can always tell what Wenger's in a mood at a press conference. He goes, we live in a world. Like he's um, doing a, a movie trailer voiceover. We live in a world. <laughs> That'd be Sean Dyche. <laughs> Welcome back, Sean. We live in a world. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point, that we, we do expect things to be new and to change. But also, I think there's an element of people searching for a key to football. So and you've seen it with the rise of things like analytics, which is re really important and really welcome. It's another way of understanding the game. It aids our knowledge. That's great. But people are searching for like, almost like a solution to say, if we do it this way, then we've, we've solved it. And that, I think, is a new way of thinking to an extent. But then at the same time, I don't know, like the 50s, Stan Pullis at Wolves is giving his players multi land treatments to try and make them run faster. People have always innovated. There's always been that, that aim to, to find that perfect game. But that's definitely something that's, that seems to be happening more and more. But there must be, a t if you have an idea of how you can be successful it, there must be a time constraint on that surely there isn't an answer to football and this is it now we found it once you do this there is no other way of being successful just again we, we always get to a point where we think well we've done everything now we've learned everything we possibly can but in the next 10 years i presume there will be other stuff will come along well, but yeah. is, is there an ultimate answer to football no because it's just a game it's just a game well, but what you said about barcelona is really important yeah, there might it... be but it's very short term because exactly. somebody like leicester figure it out and they do another yeah. but, but that's also been figured out very quickly too so in incredibly quickly leicester's been figured out but barcelona's a brilliant example that kind of 2009 2010 2011 when they were when that, that guardiola side were at their absolute peak you thought well that's it this team has made football perfect this is the you know occasionally they'll lose a game but they are this is as good as it can be. This is how everyone wants to play. But by 2012, 2013, 2014, not just that they'd, they hadn't waned really, but they'd, they'd lost that absolute superiority. And teams had, were starting to figure out, figure out ways to play against them, whether that was Mourinho setting up that great defensive performance where he conceded two goals um, <laughs> and, um, and actually would have conceded a third if Bojan could finish. But what a great defensive performance. But You're going to have to, to, to specify that to reference to people who are listening who so can't, the, can't the, quite remember. The famous Inter Milan semi-final when they beat Barca in 2010 uh, under Mourinho, which is the, the quintessential Mourinho performance. They beat them in the, in the San Siro and then they go to the new Camp and produce this, this legendary defensive performance. With 10 men. With, with 10 men, just Thiago Motta obviously was sent off <laughs> and... They conceded two goals and Bojan, I think, hit, a, hit the bar and missed a sitter late on. Um, and it, it, I just find it ironic that great defensive performances don't start with a zero. But the, um, <laughs> yeah, like the, the people figured them out. And then equally at, uh, in Germany, when, when Jürgen Klopp's kind of pressing seemed to be all the, all the rage, Pep figured that out and worked out that if you, if you can't beat the press, you go over the press. These, football keeps on changing, changing, changing because people come up with answers. There is no, there is no, there is no solution S to it. So the best coaches are the best 
problem solvers. Yeah, the ones most willing to... I don't know, I mean, Andy would have more experience than that than any of us. But. What, I, 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 what I like about or coaches that are adaptable to maybe yeah. the circum, the squads that they have or the squads that they assemble, sometimes they have the luxury of assembling a squad to play in, in the way that they want them to do, which is one challenge. But also, I, I do admire coaches that go into clubs and maybe don't have that luxury, but can mould a squad or change a squad or adapt a squad or play in two or three different ways to win games. I think that is... To me, that is what a coach is all about, has that ability to chop and change. So it's not just, well, it's just this way. This is the way we have to play. This is the only way we'll get success. Well, what happens if that doesn't work? Have you got a plan B and a C? And I really admire coaches, and there are many of them, who do have that adaptability. But normally we just look at coaches kind of building clubs or building sides to play in the way that they want them to. So our question is, is there ever anything new in football? Are those coaches that you're talking about a problem solver, the story about 48 hours before any game, Pep Guardiola just sits in his office with a standard lamp beaming down onto a piece of paper where he's trying to work out how to deal with the opposition, however good they may well be. If they're a problem solver, is that a new thing? Or did, everybody, really, did everybody try and solve problems with simply plan A and plan B I, and I, that was it? I, I do think it must be, a, you look at the last 20 years, players like Guardiola coming out of the game and going into coaching and... The, 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 the stuff that they have available to them, the, the, the kind of knowledge that they can acquire from the internet, that wasn't there, clearly there for, for coaches maybe in the 80s. and so It just wasn't around. They didn't use that. They didn't have them to use. So it has changed because the people that are in the jobs now, are they more intelligent maybe than coaches from back in the 80s? Very possibly. Do they think about the game a lot more? Do they look at different ways of, of, of approaching the game? But he must be just repeating his behavior though, Guardiola, because he's been doing this for so long that surely he's going over the same problems again and again and again to try and beat the opposition. And they're trying to stop his team doing what his team want to do. So he must have been through. It's not as if he's trying to say, Raymond, you've got a fresh sheet of paper here. I've got to start all over again and find a new way of doing this. He's just repeating what he's been doing for the but last the 10 years. The criticism of, of Guardiola, particularly since the first six games of the season that he won, is that he's been trying too many new things to try and find a, mm. a way of dealing with problems that he perhaps hasn't encountered before mm. because he's playing in England as opposed to having the best squads in the leagues that he was playing in before. I think there's definitely a case of... and you. you QC's City more than any of us but I think there's a case that Guardiola is I think Pep is a believer that a lot of stuff is new that there is a lot of un, uncharted territory in football I think he believes that and he and, wants to discover it too. and he wants to discover it so you talked about tactical I don't think split strikers are new I don't think false nines are new I don't think pressing is new I think it's I don't think zonal marking Brazil was zonal marking in the 50s and yet when it's introduced into Britain everyone's like what, what the hell is he doing what is going on why you never not- see space score a goal why, is, why are they not is that Sean Dykes again no that's just my generic manager impression why are there not four people on the post well but the thing is that putting a man on the post is zonal marking you're marking a zone you're marking the zone of the post you know, with that that the, the is the thing. The post is a man. <laughs> the post is not a man. The post can score. Technically, you can see posts score goals, I suppose. But that zone, certainly a man on your team. You, why would you feel? I, I have some sympathy with men. Why do you feel teams put men on the post? Because they're covering a zone. You're covering a zone, but they're making the target smaller as well, aren't they? They are making the target smaller. So that's I never. I remember speaking to Jim Beglin about this, and he was. I said, "Well, why are, why are modern teams now have nobody on the post?" Because he and his argument was, "Well, if you have men on the post and you do have those two extra bodies." You're making the target smaller. And it's something that I'd never really appreciate. I've just taken it for granted where you have people on the post. Never thought about why. Mm. And that is the point, isn't it? You make the target smaller. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have something new because zonal marking was done by Brazil in the 50s, but you've got a new way of legitimizing it instead. No, but it is right though, isn't it? Yeah, you're saying true. we shouldn't have people on the post. Is that what you're saying? No, I, I, I can't is, decide. No, I've got so crazy. many strong opinions. So, so, so the post, the, the marking the post is quite a good example. So that yeah. is something that we all did as kids. That has probably been going on in British in British football since mm. time immemorial. 
I would still do it if I went. If I went. To, if I went to play, I, my, my instinct, if, if we were defending so a corner, the, would be to go and stand well, on the box. I'm six so foot three, theory, so I'm in the box, winning the header. Well, yeah, so yeah. What's the theory behind not having? What what what, what have I, I just I, told you? Why I, do they not do it? Do you know, I've never asked, but I, I would guess it's because there's be an element of playing people on side. Mm. Potentially mm. from re- from rebounds, and I guess the other thing is that you want more bodies in the box, winning the headers. Mm. But the thing is, no one would ever say you shouldn't have man-, man on the post. It's ridiculous. Post can't score goals, but the reason that you're doing it is partly to make yeah, the target yeah. smaller, but partly to cover that zone, to cover the zone of the near post. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense to me to say, well, you you take that thinking and you apply it across the box, and you say, well, we're each responsible for a zone. And the, the argument is that this is new, newfangled, it doesn't work, man-to-man, as though no one has ever scored a goal from a corner where you're marking man-to-man, mm-hmm. that until like 1997, no corner had ever led to a goal. <laughs> and it was the, the first one happened, probably from a chinch delivery. Absolutely, to yes, yeah. And people, what the hell is happening here? He scored from a corner. This is completely outrageous. Red letter day. It's nonsense. Zonal marking is just a modern, or pr- probably a transliterated name from a foreign language, for a very old concept. And that's quite a good example of, of what happens is that Kind of these things are repeated. Then there's this cycle where people say, "No, this is new. Don't like it." Then they think, "Oh, it's not that new. It's fine." Mm-hmm. Then they kind of linger on that for a bit and say, "No, we should still do it the old way anyway." And then we all accept it. It's part of the game. But there are my original point ages ago was that Guardiola has done one thing this season that, that I've not seen before, and that's uh, that weird thing he does with the fullbacks becoming central midfielders. I've not seen which, anybody do that. Which before. he's only done probably two or three times. Yeah, and he did it the first couple of games of the season, and then really only once. Ever since, which is Has strange it because it was we worked at the beginning. What's the point? The of problem it? is, is that he he probably feels like consistently repeating ideas like that. People will cotton onto it yeah. in the way that he would cotton onto it if somebody else did ah. it. And so he's a little bit wary about repeating it over and over again mm-hmm. because he doesn't want to be easily second guessed because he feels like that that is if if everybody had the brain that he has. Mm. Yeah then clearly he would lose more games he's winning. The the argument, therefore, is then, well, if you change it so many times, then actually do your do your own players know what they're doing? Yeah. And is there a mental fatigue that, that, that kind of well, wells up? Because there's so to, much. And as, to, a, yeah. as a former fullback, mm. you'll understand, there's only so many ideas that you can take on board. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Are you saying I couldn't play for Guardiola's is, Man City because of my brain? Men- I have men- said that what? you and Kolarov would be in perfect position. Oh. He is mentally and physically drained by the concept of having to push into a central midfield position. It is, it's blowing my mind. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but that's the what one... you've got to be careful of. You can have all these wonderful concepts in, in a coach's head but you can't. I think City players have had mm. this problem, haven't they? They're being the, the, the systems even within a game are being adapted. So you're getting one player playing in three different positions, and it is really people think, "Oh, players, it's fine. They can take that on board." They can't. They find it very difficult until they're kind of coached and they work at it week in and week out until it eventually becomes comfortable. So very clever coaches or coaches who have worked with other players very easily in this way. It's not something you can necessarily transfer to another squad and say, well, I expect you to do the same. It won't happen overnight. But is there also any... Com- com- and again, I, I didn't see... that. It was it was one of his early home games he did it where it was um, Sanya and Cleese potentially who became the central midfielders. It was the first game against Sunderland. Right. It was the, the first time that everybody went, hang on a minute, what on earth is What's this? What's he doing? And, and, and essentially he decided that he ne- needed to flood the midfield with extra bodies, which is one of his core principles. Mm. Flood the midfield with extra bodies to create room either for a switch from right to left, yeah. which is where Kolarov comes in, um, or alternatively um, to make sure that he's got space for the wingers to, to go so, on the yeah. outside. And so, so he, he decided, I haven't got fullbacks that are going to overlap. I've got wingers instead, so I'm going to create the space for them by b- pulling the fullbacks. Oh, so there is a thought to it. He's not just trying to be clever for clever's sake. No, and yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But, no, but to be fair with Guardiola, and with, 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 there are other coaches as well who sometimes you do think, is this being done to show how clever you are? That does happen. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. definitely happens. But the thing that with with the fullback, 
switch, I, guess, I don't know what we should call it, the kind of fullback midfield switch, I guess. Mm. Is that a competitive advantage or is it just a thing that you're doing that doesn't have any particular... And it maybe it's the a, fact he's not done it very often is also testament to the It's a means that, to an end. Yeah, okay. It's a means to yeah. an end. He wants width. Solving a problem. He wants width. Width is a benefit to his game because of the amount of people that he has in central midfield. So there's only any point in having any width if there's space for those wingers or the overlapping fullbacks to operate in. Mm. He creates the space by overloading in central midfield or overloading on one side for a switch. And in doing that, he will basically do whatever he can do to create that core principle. And the way that he decided to do it with City... How do you know all this? Was, was, Does he come round for, How do you know this? You're, one of, not, one of the you're reasons, not this clever. One of the reasons is that I tend to watch Andy Hinchcliffe and yeah. his excellent tactical analysis oh, on Sky I see, Sports. I see. Now it's, yeah, it explains everything. We're not getting around to answering the question. Good. So I'm just going to... That will be, sure a, com- that will be a common occurring theme. Yeah. So I'm just going to pose another one. Because this discussion to me sounds as though the, the more that football is... you know minute innovations within football the more we'll get away from the idea that as a football fan growing up the thing I used to hate most was when the week before a match my team's next opponents sacked their manager and Mm. bought a new manager oh well we're bound to lose now because a team always wins their first game under a new manager is it going to become harder for for coaches to have an immediate impact on a team if it if it's going to take time like mm. talking about with Guardiola with City if it's going to take time for them to get their ideas across is that concept of there being like a super coach out here who you would parachute into to save a team from relegation or to just make that that difference between getting your team into Europe or to win the title that's gone now actually and it's a combination of the right coach with the right players would create the winning I think certain certain coaches will get the luxury of time certain really big name coaches but the structure of clubs now have changed an awful lot where head coaches are kind of slotted in they're far more dispensable than they've ever been I think a club have a way of running the club they have transfer policies they have transfer committees it's very true at Sheffield Wednesday talking to Carvajal about this he very definitely was slotted in this is the squad that you've got we'll bring the players in we'll talk to you a bit about it but this is how we run the club financially and in terms of, of the, the squad that you have. You can now coach them and use your abilities as a coach. If it doesn't work out, we'll slot somebody else in. So you might only be in the job for five or six games or five or six months. So it's much harder for a coach really to get across his ideas because he might not have the time because if results go against you, you could be out of a job. So it's much more difficult now for the majority of coaches to bring a style of football to a club because they simply don't get the time to play. Something new in football. There we go. Something new in football, particularly in this country, not elsewhere. Not elsewhere. Yeah, so obviously kind of technical direction and stuff have been in place a lot longer in Italy and Spain. So that's, yeah, that's new in Britain, I guess. What I think is overstated in that case of the newness is the kind of idea that there's a transfer committee or that clubs have people saying you can't buy that person, that person. Those That's always happened. They just had different names. So we used to call it a chief scout. And the chief scout was, with his team of scouts, was your transfer committee. They'd go and see players and say, boss, I think. And I I, there's, I remember one chief scout who, uh, the club that he was working at, used to send him out to to watch lots of different players across Europe. And he'd always come back and say, no, boss, no, boss, don't don't fancy him. But I tell you what, love the number 10. Every single time, there's a scout <laughs> who just wanted a team of number 10s. <laughs> and so that that's always happened. And like Liverpool were the, were the team that got, Kind of, there was all that controversy well, over the transfer well, committee. Chief scout as a season ticket to Southampton, isn't it? Yes, basically, yeah. Well, in the same way as when um, when Graham Carr at Newcastle was was like the transfer market guru, he basically had Eurosport, <laughs> and, and he watched the French champions, and so signed their best player, and then watched the Bundesliga and signed the leading scorer. And everyone, where is he finding these players from? <laughs> it's incredible, as though he was sort of shopping in like he'd gone out to the jungles of Vietnam to find this incredibly talented, unearth these gems. 
playing in some leading like yeah anyway we just sat down to watch Euro goals yeah, yeah. it was yeah, yeah, yeah. you can yeah. finish God, I tell you what, you know they play football in Germany. That's what he's, gone into, he's gone into Newcastle in the Newcastle boardroom. I've heard a rumour that in France they also play this game. And I think we should go and see if they've got any good players. Graham, it's amazing. So you're hinting at something uh, which is, funnily enough, a serious point. is that actually quite a lot of new things are people pulling the wall over our eyes and introducing something that pre-exists, but just either calling it a new name or giving you the impression. Do they know they're doing it? Do you think they're intentionally doing this? Just no, trying to look... Good. I, I, well, I think we probably all spend our times, our lives trying to look as clever as we can, don't we? But I don't think it's a, a sort of cynical Machiavellian thing to trick people. I think if you, like if you think about management jargon, or like fashion, as Steve mentioned before, is and his ladies' trousers is is an, <laughs> is an excellent example. Like we are continually so, resold old things dressed up as new, and it's not a trick particularly. It's just that things come back into fashion or things. I kind of expressed in a different way and we looked at them in a different way. And that's really important. Terminology is important. Management jargon is expressing really simple concepts in quite complicated ways. And I think that that's true of football. So what used to be the manager, the chief scout, the chief executive, that was your transfer committee for 50 years. That was that was who you'd speak to and your coaches, I guess, about who you wanted to sign. And, the, you know, the chief scout would say, I think he's good. And the chief executive would say, we can't afford him, so you can't sign him, sign somebody else. That was just the way football worked. What there is now a desire, I guess, to give things new names, and it's when you get a new name on something that people tend. Because football is a very conservative atmosphere, people get a little bit resistant. So if there's there's one new thing in football that you could pick out genuinely, one new thing. I'm quite a big fan actually of the sort of long sleeve vest underneath short sleeve shirt, rather than an old fashioned oh, long sleeve. You're a fan oh, of that. Long sleeve. No, I tell you what is new: Sh- short, sleeve, short sleeve shirt and gloves. That's new. It's been around That's for quite a while, though, hasn't it? Short sleeve shirt and gloves. Yeah. It's both new and ridiculous. Well, we agree it's ridiculous. You're either cold it's not or you're not. Yeah, exactly. Make your mind up. But it what? makes sense because your extremities do get... I never did it because I was too manly, but you, you just... <laughs> I can understand it because your hands get cold. There's well, nothing get... worse when you want a long throw and you've got cold hands. Because I'm not very brave, I took a female footballer rather than a male footballer to task over the short sleeve shirt and uh, gloves thing, and she is adamant it's all to do with circulation. Is that That's right? what you said. This brings us beautifully onto our recurring feature oh, like uh, on the Set Piece Menu podcast uh, in the uh, gracious hands of Mr. Andy Hinchcliffe. Never mind Jack and Nori, what a soccer story. And he's going to tell us a tale from his playing days <laughs> that has had all adult behaviour and mm. libel-worthy details removed. Mm, okay. This is another Andy Booth story. I keep getting dragged into these stories, don't I? But this is... Andy Booth will feature... It's a hilarious substitution <laughs> story. You don't hear too many of these, do you? Now, I was injured, surprisingly, <laughs> when I was at Sheffield Wednesday, and we were playing at Newcastle, so I thought I'd give the team some moral support and travel down on the Friday, and Danny Wilson was manager, so I said, yeah, we need you there because you're so tactically astute. So I, we travelled down on the Friday. I just hear Danny Wilson saying that. You can yep, hear him that saying confused. that, can't you? That's why he's at Chesterfield and they're struggling. Anyway, so I'm sat on the bench watching, watching the lads do their stuff. I think we're a couple of goals down in the first 10 minutes. Andy Booth goes for a header, gets absolutely splattered, knocked out, it's so, a funny concussion story. No, he, no he's, he was okay. I don't know whether he was okay in the end, actually. It might explain quite a lot. Anyway, so the stretcher goes on, far side of the pitch, far corner. They stick him on the stretcher. They're, they're taking him off. So Danny obviously gets one of his substitutes to warm up. Fourth official comes across, and uh, the stretcher's making its way across the pitch. The fourth official turns to Danny Wilson, sees that a substitute's coming on, and says to Danny, who's he coming on for, the substitute? And Danny... Unbeknownst, he just sticks his finger out and points at Andy Booth, who is lying on the stretcher, being taken off the pitch by these St John's ambulance men. That's fourth officials for you, isn't it? Hey, 
they really do understand the game so well. But Boothie, he was okay. A couple of weeks later, he was back to his uh, back to his best. <laughs> Fourth officials not making decisions. Shocking. Since 1999. Wait, you, wait, oh, we you lost, lost that game 8-0, didn't you? 8-0, yeah. I told them they shouldn't have pressed the high up the field. I did tell him. Chances <laughs> there just going, it's just closing down. It's just closing down. Stop closing down. <laughs> Never mind Jack and Ori. What a soccer story in, in association with Andy Booth. Uh, to Andy, thank you very much indeed. To Steve, thank you very much indeed. To Rory as well. Thank you to you for listening. Please do subscribe. We humbly ask you to find room for us in your podcast schedule. This has been Set Piece Menu. We'll be back with another edition for you to enjoy very soon. I'm Have sorry I let you down about the pub quiz. I, I know you came second, but I'm sure if I did. We didn't come second, we came, came joint top. Did you wear those trousers? Undefeated. He didn't come. I couldn't get a babysitter. I did, however, finish watching Stranger Things on Netflix. My God, that is intense. Really? It's cutting edge, Stephen. In what way? It's flipping terrifying. Flipping terrifying.